Welcome to the Abundant Life Church Sermon of the Week. We hope you enjoy this message by Pastor Stephen Kiley. For more information about Abundant Life Church, please visit www.abundantlifechurch.org. I want to just take a couple minutes tonight. Every one of us at one time or another finds our ourselves between a rock and a hard place. Um, maybe we're dealing with something that we are not getting clear direction on. Maybe it's a situation in our life that uh, we just don't seem able to control or just uncertainty. I, I look back and I go, but I went back into the book of Exodus, the first chapter. I looked at how Israel found its way to Egypt. When you look at that story, they were led there by the Lord. God brought them into Egypt. He had sent Joseph there to prepare a way for his people to have a place of refuge during one of the greatest famines probably that the world has ever seen. And so they found themselves eventually in severe bondage, not because of what they had done, but because where God had led them. And I, I want to kill the myth that says, like Job's friends said to Job, that when a person goes through tribulation, they are there because God is judging them for their sin. Now, I do know that the wages of sin are death, and every sin has a price tag on it. But I do want you to realize that there are situations of incubation in our life, in our growth and transformation into Christ Jesus where we struggle before we're transformed. I was watching a, a video on, um, it was a creation, creationist video, and the evolutionists tell us how long it takes for the evolution of man over the millions of years we started out and we changed from this to that and monkeys to this and so on and so forth. And then there, one of the creationists asked them, if evolution takes so long, could you explain to me the transformation of a butterfly or a caterpillar to a butterfly? Because that caterpillar does not even have the same internal organs after the transformation. It has a completely different structure. Everything is changed in that little butterfly as it comes out of its cocoon. And all the transformation takes place while it's surrounded in that cocoon that it's prepared for itself, struggling, wrestling. Nobody really knows what's going on inside the cocoon. And I, I, I don't think it's pleasing to the little caterpillar when he doesn't understand why things are so tight and dark and he can't seem to get out. Maybe you could hear that little caterpillar voice, help! Well, it sounds funny, doesn't it? hear the little voice, but you know what? Sometimes God takes us into a place where there's restriction and darkness because he's preparing us for a new dimension of spirituality that we've never experienced before. Maybe we're no longer going to crawl through life. Maybe in the dimension that God brings us into, we'll be flying through life. That, that transformation, I can't remember exactly, but I think it's only about 15 to 16 days. The whole transformation. Not millions of years. Of course, it takes more faith to believe in evolution than in anything anyways. But here we are in Egypt. Israel's cocoon. Israel's place of transformation. And it says in verse 8 of Exodus 1, now there rose up a new king over Egypt, which knew not God. And he said unto his people, Behold, the people of the children of Israel are more and mightier than we. Come on, let us deal wisely with them, lest they multiply and come to pass, that when there falleth out any war, they join us, they join also our enemies and fight against us. And so get them up out of the land. Therefore they did set over them taskmasters to afflict them with their burdens, and they built for Pharaoh treasure cities, Pythom and Ramses. 
Now remember, I'm going to repeat this. The, the Egyptian bondage was not a judgment. It was a birth. Egypt was the womb. Joseph's arrival in Egypt was the conception. The struggle and suffering under bondage was the labor. And the trip through the Red Sea in the deliverance from bondage was the birth. Because we, as Christians, if we've, as we've taught our Bible studies and we've learned, we realize that the escape or the Passover and the escape from the Egyptian bondage is a type of the new birth. Well, what did Moses tell Pharaoh was the reason when he came back to Egypt that he wanted Pharaoh to let God's people go? Why, why did he want Pharaoh to release the people? What was God's reason? Anyone, before I read the verse, anybody got an idea? So, what, so they could do what? To serve God. Because Exodus 8, 1 says, And the Lord spake unto Moses, Go unto Pharaoh, and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Now, people that are looking for purpose, or reason, a reason to exist on this earth, need to understand why they're here. We're not here to profit and prosper. We're here in this church tonight to serve. God released me from the burden of my sin and the bondage of my, my old life to serve him. Do you know that the morning is very... Um, very prominent in scripture in, in relationship to release and deliverance. I'm going to read a few verses with you this, this evening, and I want you to notice where the word mourning is placed. Verse 15 of Exodus 14 says, Get thee unto Pharaoh in the morning. Lo, he goeth out into the water, and thou shalt stand by the river's brink. Against he come, and the rod which was turned to a serpent shalt thou take in thy hand. Then Exodus, the eighth chapter, verse 20. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning. Stand before Pharaoh, lo, he cometh forth of the water. Say unto him, Thus saith the Lord, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Exodus, the ninth chapter, verse 13. And the Lord said unto Moses, Rise up early in the morning. And stand before Pharaoh and say unto him, Thus saith the Lord God of the Hebrews, Let my people go, that they may serve me. Exodus the 10th chapter, verse 13. And Moses stretched forth his rod over the land of Egypt, and the Lord brought an east wind upon the land all that day and all that night. And when it was morning, the east wind brought the locust. In the morning. Exodus the 12th chapter, verse 22. And ye shall take a bunch of hyssop and dip it in the blood that is in the basin and strike the lintel and the two side posts with the blood that is in the basin. And none of you shall go out at the door of his house. None of you shall go out until the morning. Exodus the 14th chapter, verse 24. And it came to pass in the morning watch, the Lord looked upon the host of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and the cloud and troubled the host of the Egyptians. Exodus fourteen twenty seven, And Moses stretched forth his hand over the sea and the sea returned to his strength when the morning appeared. And the Egyptians fled against it and the Lord overthrew the Egyptians in the midst of the sea. Exodus 16 and 7. And in the morning, then you shall see the glory of the Lord, for that he heareth your murmurings against the Lord. And what are we that we murmur against us? So when I look at the deliverance part, a lot of the things that God had take place, a lot of the delivering things that happened, happened in the morning. Now I know that during 
that escaped from Egypt, the Egyptians gathered their chariots together and their armies together and they pursued after Israel. And Israel sort of panicked. They saw the armies of Pharaoh. They remembered the bondage. They remembered the, the pain of bondage. And they were afraid and they started to complain because when people don't understand what they're going through, they start to criticize leadership. It's, it's almost a stage of grief. When we lose control of our circumstances in our life, we start to grieve inside. And the first stage of grief is denial. Can't happen. This can't be. The second is we start to look for a person to blame. And when, we, when that happens in a church or in your life, you can always tell where you are in the stages of your own grief and your walk for God. I don't understand, God, why you're allowing this to happen. How can you allow this to happen? Whose fault is it? Well, I'll tell you what, if Brother Kylie would have preached a little harder on this or maybe a little softer on that, or, and we're trying to find a reason and they came against Moses and they said, why didn't you just leave us alone? Why are you calling for a fast, Brother Kylie? Duh! Don't you know what happens when we fast? Everything blows apart. All the problems come out of the woodwork. Our phone rings off the hook because when God's fast begins to take place, the power of the fast takes place, he starts to release people from some of the bondage that they're in and show them their circumstances and how to get out. But sometimes they learn that they have to live by faith and they're not really in control as much as they thought they were. And their life gets a little rocky. You know, I have found out with all my health problems that the place I feel most comfortable, and if you don't, you guys that are playing in the gym, Brother Brown, Brother Kylie, you guys that go, you're strong and healthy, you don't understand this yet. Do you know where the best place for me is where I feel the most comfortable? You got it. You're right with, no, I did, that didn't sound right. You understand. When I'm flat on my back, I feel great. But when I get out of bed now in the morning, I say, okay, I know what's going to happen first. The foot's going to be complaining because it's stiff and the knees are going to be sore. But unless I start moving, I'll never get going. I, I have to do it. A church that's stagnated, a church that's going nowhere, where people are not involved in doing nothing, is like the person lying in bed. The fast is the alarm clock. Oh, no. But it was that way with Israel. God always seemed to do something in the morning. You had to get up and get going and put your faith in motion and start to walk and trust in God. Here are the armies. And, you know, I, I, I wish I could have saw that. You know, we watch the exodus on television or whatever, and we get a little bit of a Hollywood's glance of it. But what a picture it must have been when Israel camped by the Red Sea. And Pharaoh, with all of his armies, was they were charging up, and they thought for sure that they had put Israel in a place where they could not defend themselves and they could be victorious. And then God came. God came in a cloud that provided blackness on one side and light on the other. It was the same cloud that produced two things. It produced darkness and light. Pillar of light and a pillar of darkness. To the Egyptians, it was blackness. Lack of comprehension. But to Israel, it produced warmth and light. The same cloud. Do you know that when they crossed the Red Sea, God asked them to do that in the night. It was in the fourth watch of the night, if you go back and read in Exodus. And I'm not putting any money on it. I got to tell you this funny thing, okay? I did that one time, and I made a mistake, and I said, I'll give you $100. 
And then I realized that I got confused in my scriptures and I was wrong. And Jim Imel was right. Jim Imel, did I pay you $100? Yep, I gave him $100. I'm not doing that again. Well, don't say any more, all right? A fool utters his whole heart. <laughs> but the, the, <laughs> the point is this. They left in the dark blackness of the night, and they entered into a place where no one should be able to survive. They came, the, the Bible says, God sent a wind during the night, and about the fourth watch of the night, they were in the Red Sea in in the darkness, I'm sure possibly the, there was light from the cloud, but it was, it was the fourth watch of the night. And they're walking through a situation that they can't comprehend. Do you see that? The water's 100 foot tall on either side of us. I don't even understand how the ground can be dry. How is this happening? This isn't real. This has got to be a dream. Where do we go? The Egyptians are, are coming in behind us. There's a wall on our right. There's a wall on our left. We can't run to the side. We can only go forward. And it says the angel of the Lord led them through the sea. And when the Egyptian armies came into the midst of the sea, it says that the pillar of the cloud came again between Pharaoh's armies and Israel, and he disquieted the chariots. In other words, he made it so the chariots couldn't roll very well. He bothered the chariots, and they all broke down. So much for Chrysler and, and some of these other guys. We've had problems with vehicles even before mechanization. Chariot, all the chariots broke down. There wasn't even a recall. But God troubled them, disabled them, and then in the morning... It says that God destroyed them. Darkness may endure for the night. Sorrow may endure for the night. But what comes in the morning? Joy comes in the morning. Do you remember what the Bible says? When the day breaks, what happens? The shadows flee away. And I want to tell you that every one of us is going to have that experience in our life. We have to have it. Because God doesn't want us to live as babies. I didn't want to go to school the first day. I have never ridden on a bus before. I'm going to a place where I don't know any of the, I don't have any friends. I'm going to be sitting at a desk. But in every stage of my life, I had to do something that I didn't want to do as I grew. I remember leaving middle school. Do you remember going to junior high? Oh, that scared you. I, you mean we have to go from class to class? And see, in your whole life, in the physical realm, you will have to go through those experiences in your growth. What about the kingdom of God? There are situations that God brings us in because we're going through the process of spiritual growth. One of the things that I was talking to Missy about tonight, and as I was driving here tonight, I was thinking about how God has given each one of us special talents or gifts. Everyone here, you're going to say, I don't have a gift. Well, what are you looking for? Are you saying... What, are, what, is it, what is in the classification of your gifts? Playing the piano is a gift. What about the gift of, of communication? The gift of hospitality? There are so many gifts that God has given. The gift of giving. The gift of, of intercessory prayer. All these gifts were given to you for one reason. To serve God. To invest in him. Now, the thing is, when you've got a gift, it's sometimes you're a little bashful in using it because you're afraid that you might disappoint people or embarrass yourself. How did you look the first time you got on a bike? <laughs> How many times did you fall off and hit your head on the ground? Well, I know in some of you probably a lot. 
No, we, because every growth process involved failure. I didn't, I didn't ride my bike the first time without falling off. I have a scar, and I'm not just, this isn't a joke, okay? I know that I've been joking, but I have a scar on my head. I fell off my bike on the asphalt. My dad was right with me. He let me fall. He didn't let me kill myself, but he wanted me to learn that I needed to pay attention and take what I was doing seriously, but that I could do it, and I was going to fall in life. The, the, the situation, so Israel didn't pass that test real well. They were, they were yelling at Moses and saying, take us back to Egypt, and then after God delivered them from the Egyptians and destroyed them in the sea, they come into the promised land, or not the promised land, into the desert, and they find out with three million people, roughly three million people, there's no provision. There's no water to drink. There's nothing, no water for their animals, much less trying to raise a crop. What are we going to eat? How many rail cars of food do you need a day to feed three million people? Think about living at home with five kids. It was a struggle, but figure, what is Moses doing? Why would you bring us to a place where there's no provision? Because God was going to show them that he was going to be their provision and their inheritance. That no matter where God took you in your life, whether it was a desert or whether it was a land that flowed with milk and honey, that God could provide for you in every circumstance. The most difficult circumstance came first. What are you going to do, Moses? You bring us out here to starve to death? First it was the armies. Are we going to die here? Why would God do this to me? Why would God let me lose this? Why am I struggling? God, I'm paying my tithes and my offerings. I should be, I should be reaping great benefits. Why is this happening? That's the Israel first reaction. But God said to them, you know what? Just tell them to go to their tents. And in the morning when they got up, the next morning, guess what they had on the ground? Manna. They called it manna. They didn't know what it was. They didn't know where it came from. Could you explain manna to me? The manna only came as God had directed and allowed it to come. It eventually stopped. Matter of fact, when they, just before they went into the land of Canaan, there was no more manna coming down on the ground for them to live on. God stopped the manna. They called it, what is it, because they couldn't understand it. That's what manna means. What is it? Do you understand God, the principles of God? Do you understand why God does what he does in your life? Why don't you talk to Job and see what he has to say about it? He didn't realize that God was allowing him to show forth his righteousness through Job. And it wasn't about Job. Job made it all about him. And that's what we do. The problems we have, we make it all about us. Well, me, 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 me. When God is saying, in your situation, if you are faithful, it's all about me. Your faithfulness in tribulation your hope and trust and endurance through things that you don't understand, it points to my righteousness and my provision. I want to take a minute this evening and I want to talk about something that I hear people um, mention a lot. How come when I pray, do my prayers seem to go unanswered? Now, let me, let me be upfront with you. Do you feel sometimes like that? Have you ever felt that way? Why isn't God answering my prayers? I've been praying about this forever, and, God, and nothing happens. Well, let me give you some spiritual insight as to what might be wrong or right. You may be praying wrong. 1 John, the fifth chapter, verse 14 and 15 says, And this is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, 
he hears us. And if we know that he hears us, whatsoever we ask, we know that we have the petitions that we desired of him. Sometimes we might ask for things that are contrary to, number one, his word. Number two, his nature. And number three, his will. Well, God, I could really use a yacht. Or I could really use something. And you know what? That would be nice to have a yacht, but maybe that doesn't fit into the plan of God. Maybe, number two, maybe you're praying the right prayer for the wrong reason. James, the fourth chapter, verse three says, you ask and receive not because you ask amiss that you may consume it upon your own lust. Oh, that's a good reason. Maybe this thing that I want isn't necessarily good for the type of uh, character that God wants me to develop. See, God sees your heart. Is your prayer, is it a self-promotion? Is your prayer based on envy? Does your prayer stem from that greedy part of your nature? Remember, in your prayer, God goes beyond just the content of what you say, and he sees the motivation. How about, number three, you're holding on to things God wants you to give up. Psalm 66, 18 says, If I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. Wow, that's hard. That's just the same as the principle that says, If I cannot forgive, I cannot be forgiven. Mark 11th chapter, verse 24 says, Therefore I say unto you, what's, what things soever you desire when you pray, believe that you receive them, and you shall have them. And when you stand praying, forgive, if you have aught against any, that your Father also which is in heaven may forgive you your trespasses. See, when your hands are full of one thing, you certainly aren't in a place to take possession of other things. You have to let go of the things that you are holding in your heart and in your hand before you can receive the blessings and promises of God. You've got to let go of your unforgiveness to receive forgiveness. How about this one? Oh, this, this gets home close to home. How about, four, disrespecting people and dishonoring those who God has given you direction to respect. See, God set up a five-fold ministry to lead, guide, rebuke, and, and encourage the church with. Ephesians, the sixth chapter, verse two through four says, Honor thy father and mother, which is the first commandment with promise, that it may be well with thee, and thou mayest live long on the earth. Hebrews, the 13th chapter, verse 17 and 18 says, Obey them that have the rule over you, and submit yourselves, for they watch for your souls, as they must give account that they may do it with joy and not with grief. And notice how he ends the verse for that is unprofitable to you. It doesn't benefit you. First Peter um, 3, 1. Could we read, could you bring that one up? I don't have that particular verse. And I'm going to go to verse 7 after that. Likewise, ye wives, be in subjection to your own husbands, that if any... Uh, obey not the word, they also may without the word be won by the conversation of their wives. Husband or wives, submit yourself to your husbands. Then in verse 7, it says, Likewise, ye husbands, dwell with them, 
according to knowledge, giving honor unto the wife as unto the weaker vessel, and as being heirs together of the grace of life, notice that, that your prayers be not hindered. You know that one of the most important relationships that you can have is the marriage relationship? Because if that is not solid, the relationship that you have with your children will not be solid. I know this old saying, happy wife, happy life. And there's, that was probably told by someone that realized after a few years it was easier to have a happy home. Marriages affect lives. Remember, God watches how you treat people. How about number five? God's developing faith in your life. And patience. Hebrews 11.6 says, But without faith it is impossible to please him, for he that cometh to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of them that diligently seek him. Notice that seeking is a verb. It's an action word. It, mean, it means to continually seek him. Now, let's look at, we're all referred to as children. We're the children of the Lord. But let's look at how you raise a child properly. There's three main things that every child that's going to grow up must have in his life if he's going to mature into a proper adult. I call them the, the, the three Ds. Number one, he has to have discipline. He has to learn the meaning of the word no. Two, he has to learn what denial is. In other words, he learns that not everything he wants, he gets. The third thing is, the third, the third dealer word is delay. He has to learn to wait. Daddy, I want a candy bar now. No, you're not going to get the candy bar until I say that you can have the candy bar. We've all said that as parents. We need to tell them that they need to wait. Mama, I want a cookie right now. No, cookies are for dessert. They're not for snacks. A child without these three principles placed in their life will turn into a child that's spoiled and immature. Number six, remember that we fight dark spiritual forces we fight against an enemy that is wicked and evil, the devil, that, and it requires us to have strong resistance, and also we have to have spiritual reinforcement. I can't fight the devil and darkness by myself. To fight the spiritual battle that I am involved in, I need to have a spiritual entity working through me. That's why prayer is so critical, because prayer is communication with God, and prayer brings answers. Notice what James, the fourth chapter, says about the importance of submission. Submit yourselves, submit yourselves then to God first. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. The verse doesn't only contain half of the, the sentence. It isn't just resisting the devil and him free, fleeing from you. We do quote it that way. But the Bible says, first of all, you've got to submit yourself to God. And then after you've submitted yourself to God, then at that point, it would be wise for you to resist the devil. Daniel, the tw 10th chapter, verse 12 and 13 says... Then he continued, Do not be afraid, Daniel, since the first day that you set your mind to gain understanding and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard. And I have come in response to them, but the prince of the Persian kingdom resisted me 21 days. Then Michael, one of the chief princesses, came to help me because I was detained there with the king of Persia. If prayer and fasting work for Daniel, guess what? It'll work for you. 
just don't stop because you don't see any changes. I forget who told, shared this with us. It was somebody at Parkway one time that worked in concrete. I think it was Brother Jerry McLean's brother. He worked in concrete. And he used the illustration one time that when you're breaking concrete with a sledgehammer, like you're breaking up your sidewalk, you can hit the concrete with a sledgehammer and think that you're not making any changes in it. But one thing about concrete, it breaks from the center out. It doesn't break from the outside in. Concrete breaks from the center out. So if one more time, if you'd have hit it one more time, it might have broken apart. And more than likely, if you walked away too soon, we're just a little step away from victory. And it's the same way in our relationship with God. How long do I pray, Brother Kylie? I've been praying forever, it seems. Pray until you get your answer. 1 Peter 5, verse 8 says, Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. You're not alone. I was talking to a man in his office today, and I've oftentimes have heard people say, and I probably said it myself, well, you're not the only person suffering with this situation. And I've said, and the person that I've been telling that to probably says, well, that doesn't make me feel any better. Misery likes company isn't necessarily true. Misery is misery either way you look at it. But if I can do if I can realize, number seven, numbers, as we look at that, that God has something better planned, and this is part of his process, it helps me to feel better. 1 Corinthians, the second chapter, verse 9, But as it is written, I hath not seen, nor ear heard, neither has it entered into the heart of man, the things which God hath prepared for them that love him. Look at my life. I live on this, this earth, and I've had a good life. But how does that life compare to where I'm going? God, I, I can't imagine what's ahead. I can't, it's not possible. My imagination isn't capable of grasping heaven or the things that lie in store for me. If I can understand that this is temporary and that is permanent, I can endure these troubles for a moment. Sometimes the very best thing that can happen to you is for God to ignore one of your prayers. Because if he gave you what you asked for, you might find out it wasn't what you needed. You should thank God when he closes doors because usually when he closes a door, it's not the right one, but he opens the one that you should go through. You've got to understand that God sees things that you don't see. God knows something more than likely that you don't know. No one knows this, but I dated a girl years and years ago. And I thought she, she was really an attractive girl and I, was, I did what every young teenager did. I entered into the first stage of love, infatuation, by the way, which is not love. Infatuation is just physical attraction. And I thought, yeah, I'll, I'll probably end up marrying this girl. Matter of fact, my brother did all he could to hinder it because he was such a wonderful guy. <laughs> you know, can I share something with you about him? I remember I brought a girl over. As a matter of fact, it was the same girl. And it was the first time she ever had dinner with our family. Do you want to tell them what you did? <laughs> he reached over and took her beverage and sucked it right down. And then he made some rude comment about it. But and I was so upset with him, I said, you know, what are you doing? I don't want her to find out what we're like until I know her better. 
But you know, I thank God every day that God shut the door on that relationship. I thank him every day. And that's sometimes when we don't get what we ask for, it's a blessing. Philippians, the first chapter, verse 12 says, but I, but I would you should understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. All right, I'm not going to put any money on this, brother. But where was this book written from? The book of Philippians. Where was it written from? Where was he pinning these words? Prison. He's saying, so what he's saying is I'm in prison right now here in Rome and I don't want you to be ignorant that these things that are happening unto me, they're not bad as you perceive bad, but they're good in the fact that they're furthering the gospel of Christ. That's what's so amazing about Paul. He always put the work of God above himself. That's a sign of maturity. That's like a parent when there's no food left in the house giving his meal to his children and going hungry. He puts his family first because he loves his family. If I love God that way, there will be times that I will do without so another might have. That's true love. Paul is saying, I know that you would like me free, and preaching the gospel, but through these circumstances in my life right now, God is performing a bigger purpose. That's a great sign of maturity. 1 Corinthians, the 13th chapter, Paul writes, For now I see through, we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, but then shall I know, even also as I am known. I've quoted this verse to myself and said, You know, eventually I'll understand why. I will have an answer. But now I just see through this, this situation and it's all murky and clouded. The other thing too, and I had mentioned the, the caterpillar in the cocoon, we're being, number eight, we're being changed into his image. You know, we quote the scripture that says Christ was tempted in every manner like as we are tempted. But, and we say that we want to be made into his image. Are we willing to go through what he went through? In other words, what, what happened at his life that brought him to the place of the resurrection and the ascension? He was denied. He was beaten. He was forsaken. He was buried and isolated. If I want to be like Christ and I want to share in his glory and riches... Do you think it's unfair of God to let me go through some persecution? Maybe a little bit of resurrection? The Bible says if I share in the likeness of his death, he says, guess what? You'll also share in the likeness of his resurrection. But see, my problem is I don't want to share in the likeness of death. I just want to share in the likeness of resurrection. Makes me think of George Burns every time I say that. He said, was asked one time at 102 years old, he's puffing on a cigar, and the, the interviewer says, are you afraid to die? And George Burns, in his old nasty way, said, no, I'm not. I just don't want to be there when it happens. <laughs> See, I want to go to heaven, but I don't want to go through denial. I don't want to go through persecution. In the same way the Spirit helps us, Romans 8, 26, and I am finishing up. In the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we should pray for as we ought, but the Spirit it's himself intercedes for us through groanings which cannot be uttered or understood. And he who searches hearts knows what's in the mind of the Spirit because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. See, that's why I pray in tongues. Because sometimes I don't know what to pray. I want God to intercede through me in a manner that pleases God in accordance with his will. And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according 
to his purpose. Now, if I truly believe that scripture, if I truly believe it, a lot of us pay lip service, but when we get the rubber meets the road, we, we deny it. But if I really believe that the thing that I'm going through is going to eventually work out for the good, will I be complaining as much? It's going to work out for the good. He's molding you. He's shaping you. And he does it through the pressures of life. You've got to learn how to pray according to God's will and not your own will. See, God, number nine, has a different timetable. Galatians 6, 9 says, Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. See, the problem is people give up. They storm out the door, they get frustrated, they throw their hands up, and they walk away from God, and then they make up silly excuses that say, I don't need to be in a church. I can feel God in my home. You know, they had the same problem in the early church. The same problem way back in the beginning. Who was it? I think Paul said they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they would have been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. I know that sounds a little confusing. But when you become frustrated, you oftentimes make decisions based upon your flesh and not your spirit. Your spirit sees down the road things that you can't say. But if you do not give up, the Bible says, you eventually will reap. God has not only a perfect will for your life, he also has a perfect time to bring it about. We may ask the right prayer, but we may ask it at the wrong time. Do you know what happens to anything that's born before its time? It becomes weak and limited. Ask the caterpillar that's released from the cocoon before he's ready to come out. He cannot fly. If I received the promise of God before it was time for me to receive it, I would be much weaker and more ineffective in my life, just like the butterfly would have been. So when your prayers are not answered in the way that you think they should, there's four things you should do. Check your life and your relationships. Get bigger. As Brother Barneyham would say, put on your big boy pants. Get bigger and not bitter. Three, trust God's goodness and his sovereignty. And four, and the most important is, keep on praying. Then Jesus told his disciples in Luke 18, a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Romans 12, 12, be joyful in hope, patient in affliction, and faithful in prayer. And then the last scripture for tonight is 1 Thessalonians 5 and 7. For those who sleep, sleep at night. And those who get drunk, get drunk at night. But for the Christian, sorrow may endure for the night, but for them, joy comes in the morning. Could we stand together? Thank you for being so patient. I wanted to get through this tonight. I um, One of the things that I remember when I was pastoring in Plymouth, we had, we had some real struggles there, just like every pastor has in any church. And I was really frustrated. And um, I kept praying for an answer to a certain problem I had. And I was frustrated with God that every, every week I had to go through the same problem over and over again. And one morning I just said, God, you've got to speak to me. I got, 
I wish you could just sit down at the kitchen table with me and have a cup of coffee. Talk to me. I need you to talk to me. And I opened up my scripture and my hand went to Hebrews, the 10th chapter, about verse 34. And it went to this verse. My eye went to this verse. And God shared this with me. Notice how it starts. It says, cast not away therefore your confidence, which hath great recompense of reward. But you have need of patience that after you have done the will of God, you might receive the promise. For we are not them that return back unto perdition, but we believe for the saving of the soul. And that was it. You know what God said to me? He said, be patient, son. You have to be patient. And I think tonight, God's sitting across the table and he's got his coffee cup. And it may be just one of you or maybe 10 of you or 20 of you. And he's saying, you know what? I know you're praying. I know you're struggling with this thing. And you wonder where I am in all this stuff. But make sure that your heart is clean and pure. Make sure that you don't harbor unforgiveness in your heart and that your prayer line is open. And once you've made all the adjustments in your life where you know that the line of communication is open, be patient and trust me. If you have bitterness in your heart towards somebody or unforgiveness and your pride is causing you to withdraw from God's presence and you can't pray anymore, and by the way, that's a good sign. I really get nervous with people when they stop coming to church. I've heard all the excuses for it. But usually at the root of their problem is an unforgiving spirit, bitterness. And they're trying to solve their problem outside the church by praying to God to help them. And God's saying, because of the spirit that you have, I refuse to hear your prayers. That's why the Bible says, if you have ought against your brother, the very best thing you can do and the very first thing that you should do is go to him and make it right because at that point, now God will hear your prayers and you'll hear your land. Be patient. Lord Jesus, tonight, thank you for allowing us to share the word. Lord, there's gold in this room tonight. You have brought a treasure into the sanctuary, many treasures, but special treasures tonight. Thank you for listening to this Abundant Life Church podcast. We pray it has strengthened your relationship with God and will continue to be a light unto your pathway to heaven. If you have any questions or comments regarding this podcast, please telephone our ministerial team at 262-965-965. 5177 or email us at info@abundantlifechurch.org at